It's good to be with y'all. Uh, some of y'all know, some of y'all do not. My name is Sam Taff, and uh, I'm the RUF campus minister at Kentucky. It's my wife, Ann, sitting in the front row. Uh, we've got three boys, and we've lived here since the summer, uh, but we have just, yeah, we've loved living in Lexington. And so this time of year has slowed down a little bit. A lot of faces missing, I'm sure, as students have headed home. But um, yeah, we're really glad uh, to be here tonight. Uh, thankful for the opportunity Marshall's given me just to come and preach the word, preach from a passage that, that I needed to hear uh, just as much a, as you need to hear. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read for us John chapter 1, starting in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word of the Lord. I remember sitting across from uh, a pastor, mentor, friend of mine, uh, this is about a decade ago, and we were just chatting, and he was asking me how life was going, and I had roommates at the time, and asked me about my roommates, and how we were getting along, and how I was doing personally, and he was beginning to ask more personal questions, and I began to feel, sometimes when we get asked those questions, you know, increasingly uncomfortable, giving more vague answers, and I had mentioned something about a conflict between one of my roommates and I, and um, later on in the conversation, he said, you know, can we, you, you said something earlier, you kind of vaguely talked about it, he's like, could we, can we just shine a light on that for a second, can we take a moment to talk about that? Maybe you've been in a conversation like that before, too, where it's, maybe it's been a conversation with someone who's said, hey, I've noticed something, can or maybe it's been something in you, or maybe something in your kid. Could, could you shed some light on this? Or maybe you've gotten a note from the government. We got your tax uh, credit. Can, can, can we, uh, could you shed some light on these numbers you've given us? Sometimes that conversation is actually really welcome. Sometimes you, you, maybe you're begging to have someone ask you about something that you're terrified to come to them. And so someone asking you, hey, would it be okay if we talked about this, actually comes as a lifeline, actually comes as a rescue. But, but, but the truth is, is that th those sorts of conversations, whenever we ask to be known, whenever someone asks us for more information about us or things that we don't normally talk about, when we're requested to share, to reveal, to expose, that comes with a variety of reactions. And, and, and so it's, it's no surprise then that when Jesus comes into the world, he comes as a light, as Marshall talked about last week, the, the image given in chapter 1 and throughout the Gospels is of Jesus as a light. 
And he's coming, and you think about the uses of a light, especially in the ancient Near East. It was guidance, it was warmth, it was healing. It was also exposing darkness. And so it's no surprise then that Jesus also is met with mixed responses. And we're going to look at those tonight, looking at how Jesus is rejected, he's received, and he's reflected, and what that means for us in those situations. Let me pray for us before we do. Father, Lord, we thank you for the good news that we've already sung about tonight, the good news that we heard last week from John 1, 1 through 5, that your light is coming and the darkness will not overcome it. And Father, we pray tonight as we look at how your Son, Jesus, was received, that we might examine our own hearts, Lord, to ask ourselves, how do we respond to the light? Lord, might you give us soft hearts and open ears to trust you more and more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. About five years ago, I had a conversation with an old boss of mine, and a mutual friend of ours uh, had had an affair with his wife. He'd run off with a secretary. He had three kids, and was a pastor, and I was in seminary about to become a pastor, and it really rocked my world and rocked uh, a lot of my friends' world. And um, I remember calling up my old boss because he knew him as well. And also, I just didn't know. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know who to turn to. And he knew him. And I, I said, I just don't understand it. Like, he left his family. He, he sacrificed a relationship. He's losing his job. He's not going to see his kids as much as he would want to anymore. You know, what, what would lead someone to do that? Why would he do that? And our conversation went a lot longer, and, and my friend said, he said, you know, it, it's much more complicated than this, but he said, something I've learned in 25 years of ministry is this simple truth that sin makes us stupid. And it does. We, we think about, and, and, and this passage touches on that so often I look back at so many of the things I've done in my life and it's because my own sin has clouded my wisdom, it's clouded my judgment, it's made me seek after things that lead to death rather than life. And that's exactly the first response we're told Jesus gets when he comes in to the world. And, and it's not a new response just to Jesus. That's why we read that passage from Isaiah. 700 years before, God was telling his people, the ox knows, the donkey knows, but my people do not understand. You see, one of the effects, it's strange, isn't it? The image of a light coming in to the darkness. You know, we read that passage from Isaiah, the people in darkness have seen a great light. There's so much hope. And there's so much good news in that passage and in those verses and in that image. And yet at the same time, Jesus coming as a light is a real threat. It's a threat 
to us. It's a threat to who we really are. Do we really want to be exposed? And, and, and one of the effects of sin, one of the effects of the darkness of sin is that even when we know in our clearest moments that we need to be exposed, that we need the light of Christ to heal us, to guide us, and to restore us, we choose to remain in the darkness. And we see this in so many areas of our life. Don't you, if you've got an anger problem, maybe that's you tonight. You're angry. Maybe no one knows you're angry, but you know you're angry. And your kids know you're angry, and your roommates know you're angry. And you know, and you've known this, and you know you need to do something about it. But doing something about it would require being known and being exposed. And sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking, in the long run, this will be easier if I just don't tell anyone. Or I'll deal with it later when I feel like dealing with it. It might not be anger for you. It might be lust. It might be manipulation. Uh, It might be greed. You know you need help. You know you want to change, and yet it is so hard. It's hard to want to be exposed. The fear of guilt, of shame, and embarrassment, it it does what? It, It drives us to actually run from the light. It, it drives us to run from the ways God promises to work in His Word. It makes us run from His Word. It makes us run from His people. It makes us run from real and lasting and true fellowship. It makes us run from time with Him in prayer. And, and you know this. There's so many things we can run to. There's two examples I think John gives in this passage. Two things that we can be tempted to rescue ourselves by. See, John follows this up by saying there is a hope. Those who do receive him, who believe in him, will be made sons. But he says, we're not made sons by blood or by the will of man or the will of the flesh, but by the will of God. See, see, we are tempted to think that we can be rescued. Why does John say that? We're tempted to think in natural terms, in terms that we can control, that oh yeah, I, I can be rescued if I just try harder. We tend to run to the will of the flesh, the will of man. We tend to run to our bloodline, maybe our, our natural good gifts. We, te- we tend to run to, maybe, maybe for you it is actually your family. Maybe that's the thing that you run to when you feel threatened. Maybe it is you just... Remind yourself of the fact that you are more attractive than other people. You're more gifted than other people. You're, more smart, you're smarter than other people. It can be so easy to run to those things, which is why John reminds us we are not born into the family of God by those things. You know, Paul picks up this. The Apostle Paul in Philippians picks up on this temptation in chapter 3, in chapter three of his letter to them where he says, and they're fighting the same temptation. They're fighting the same temptation that we are, to define ourselves by the things we like about ourselves, to define ourselves by, or maybe by what we want to define ourselves by. 
And, and Paul says, look, you can play that game all day long and I will win. <laughs> you know, back then, being from the, from, the family, from the line of David was a huge big deal. That was one of the tribes of Israel that remained faithful to God. He was a Pharisee. He had the equivalent of a PhD by the age of 21. He had a great family line. He was talented. He was smart. And, and John says, those are not the things that rescue you out of darkness. And Paul will actually go a step further and say, not only can they not rescue us, not, not only can they not atone for our guilt, Paul says, I count them as a loss because they drive a wedge in between me and Christ. And yet we still try to turn to these things, don't we? When we're down, we'll post a picture that makes us or our family look exceptional or together. Or maybe we'll just run to people who won't ask us hard questions. Or we can just start doing things that we know we're good at to distract ourselves from issues that we know need to be dealt with in our own heart. And, and, and some of those things are not bad things, but they're so temporary. They cannot atone. They cannot cover our guilt. They cannot deal with our heart's deepest issues and our heart's deepest longings. And yet, I know, too, the temptation is also to think, well, well what if I don't need... Uh, and I know that, that, that that's true for some of us here tonight. It, it's just tempting to believe, well, I, I don't need... Savior, you're overplaying this darkness thing. The Bible's really making a big deal about darkness and sin and how much we need light. And yet, even if you're tempted to believe there, maybe you do absolutely believe that tonight. That's where I am. I don't need rescuing. I don't need a light. I don't need to be guided. And yet, you know, there are things that you've thought or said are done even this week that you would not want anyone else to know. What, what do you do when you realize in, in, in your most honest moments that you are guilty, that you have, and it's not just that you've done something once or twice, but, but that there's actually things in your heart that, that, that make you love evil. And there's actually a weird thing where it goes on where it's like, I, I know I shouldn't be angry, but there's this thing that I really like being angry. H how do we want to change? What do you do with that? How do you change? The invitation of this passage is to examine our hearts, to examine what it is that we are placing our faith in and ask, where does this lead me? Ultimately, where is this leading me? If I continue to make my life about this, where is that going to lead me in 20 years? Where is that going to lead me for eternity? If I'm going to make my life about this, how is that going to equip me to suffer? How is that going to equip me to love people that are hard to love. 
everyone in this world, in this world, we hear that promoted all the time, especially around this team. The world needs more caring and more generosity and more love. And yet, if we're honest, we have to say, well, what if I don't want to? How do I want to love? How do I want to be generous? The invitation of this passage is to examine ourselves. Where is the hope for change? And where is our hope when we do not measure up to our standards, God's standards, or, or maybe the world's standards that we put on ourselves? And to come to Jesus and to acknowledge, Lord, I've wandered. And, and you know what the promise is? If you keep reading through the book of John, confess to God, Lord, I've wandered. And not only have I wandered, I've loved wandering. And then you meet in the Gospels Jesus who is the good shepherd who chases after his wandering sheep. We come to God and we confess, Lord, I, I, I confess I have, I have made my life I've tried to nourish myself with things that spoil. I've made my life about things that do not last. And then you meet in the Gospels Jesus, who is the bread of life, who promises that if we feed on him, we will never hunger or thirst again. The invitation of this passage is to examine where your trust lies and to transfer that trust to Jesus. The question is not, do we have faith? The question is what we are putting our faith in. All of us, every person on this planet is placing their faith in something. Our hope is in something. We're investing a lot of time in things in the hope that it's going to deliver us, that's going to make our life secure and happy. And the promise, as Marshall talked about this week, and as we're promising this week, this world is dark. And so whatever we're putting our hope in, other than Jesus, will not lead to life, but it will lead to death. I remember hearing the explanation one time that, that faith is like an IV. Our IV is, it, we're hooked up to something. We're receiving nourishment and wisdom from something. And if you've ever been in a hospital, if that IV is not hooked up to what it's supposed to be, you're in trouble. If you're supposed to receive, you know, high dosage of Tylenol and you're getting something else, you could be in trouble. If you just need glucose and instead they're putting in the guy that needed, you know, drugs for his heart surgery recovery, you're in trouble. And the same is true for us. But to those who receive him, but to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. That's why I put that question in our confession of faith. What is faith? Faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging the truth of everything that God has revealed in his word, trusting in him, and also receiving and resting on him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. It's a receiving and a resting it's, it's resting on his finished work. It's coming to God and saying, Lord, I can't. There was a great quote from an Arcade Fire song that came out about 10 years ago, and they said, do you think your righteousness can pay the interest on your debt? I have my doubts about it. We all come to that acknowledgement at some point where we realize there's not enough good things I can do to overcome the evil that is in my heart. 
And the invitation of faith in Jesus is to actually not rest on what you can do, but to receive and to rest on what Christ has done. Isn't that a beautiful picture? John Calvin puts it this way when he's commenting on <coughs> Ephesians 3. He said, faith is not a distant view. Faith in Jesus is not just looking at Jesus from a distance and just admiring him and thanking him. Notice how John Calvin puts this. Faith is not a distant view, but a warm embrace of Christ. That's not the flowery language we think of when we think of the reformers. And yet that's exactly what this passage is describing. It's a receiving and a resting upon his finished work. To those who do receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. And that is a status that can never be taken away. And so then what does that mean? What does it mean? And we've looked at what it looks like to reject the light and to receive the light. But what does it mean and look like to reflect the light? Before we can ever reflect it to other people, I think we have to come back to this truth. If there's anything you learn from the first few verses of John is that this, this world is dark and that we're in it and that we're contributing to it, which means you and I will need to be reminded of the light. You and I need to be reminded that we have a God who looks upon his children and says, you are mine. And that status can never change. What can separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation? No. Death? No. Suffering? No. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. We need to be reminded of that. We need to come back. We need to put ourselves before the light. But we also need to reflect that light to others. I mean, there's a beautiful picture of that in this passage, isn't there? It starts off, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Some of you might be feeling that tonight. Yeah, I am not the light. Maybe you've said or done things today that can only be described as dark. And, and, and you, you might think that there is no way I could ever reflect the light of Christ. I've done that thing again. I returned to that sin pattern again. And, and, and yet, th this passage here does not say that it is in us, in our strength to conjure up the ability to reflect, but to testify about the light. What the world needs, what your friends need, what your family need this Christmas is not necessarily for you to be the bright shining light. But for you to say, you know what, there's lots of cracks in my life. But I want to show you the God who is at work in the midst of those. I want to show you how God is healing me. I want to show you his promises to the weary, to the downtrodden, to the prodigal, 
to the wasteful, to the sinful. I want to show you what this God's like. My freshman year of college, I went out of state to college, uh, specifically to be away from my parents and to kind of just do whatever I wanted to do. And so uh, I went to church a couple times my first fall semester, but really just so that I could tell my mom and my sisters that I went to church. So they would keep sending me money. And uh, so the first Sunday I showed up at this church and really was just getting there late, leaving early was my goal. And it was uh, a Sunday where they were welcoming new members. And this pastor gets on up there and he's not, uh, he hasn't really got his act together. And he, uh, you know, there's like a bunch of new people. There's probably 15 or 20 joining the church that day. And as he's, saying something about every person, he messes up a crucial fact about almost every single person. Their name, what they do. He's like, you know, this is, you know, Alice from Chicago, right? She's like, no, Jennifer from Charlotte, actually. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, And he goes through, I'm like, who, who is this guy? You know, he, and the, the, the church is packed, and uh, there was something really strange. Like, this guy is not impressive, you know, and, and I came on to learn, like, you know, through a college, there would be a number of Sundays, mornings, where, you know, he'd get halfway through a sermon in 45 minutes and he'd say you know what we're just going to, have to continue this next week and I was like okay you know and uh yet people would come week in week out because here's the thing about this pastor that was so beautiful you know he'd refer to himself as just a redneck from southern south carolina and he knew he was not impressive but he knew he had an incredibly impressive and loving and gracious God. And if you sat down with him, you, you were sitting across from someone who was really not interested in making much of themselves. They were interested in you knowing Christ because of how much Christ meant to him. During my four years there, I probably saw more adult conversions in that church than any other church I've been a part of. But because... And that included, that included my own sinful, hardened heart. Because Hal had this ability just to love people because he knew how desperately he needed to be loved. Tonight, you might be thinking, there's nothing about me that is attractive. Maybe you're almost embarrassed to tell people you're a Christian because of things they've seen you do or, they th or things they know about you. But maybe the greatest gift you can give your family and your friends, maybe the greatest gift the world needs this season and every other season too is the gift of empty hands, of the gifts of saying, I don't have it. I don't have enough and I am not enough, but there is one who is enough. And he died for me. And he's committed to making me whole. And he's committed to making me new. And I want you to know about him. That's a high calling. And yet it's a very simple calling. Because the calling is to come and to cast yourself, to receive and to rest and to reflect the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father... <coughs> We thank you that the gospel is true. Lord, we're so tempted.
to believe when we read the news, when we examine our hearts, that Satan is winning, that the darkness will win. God, we thank you and we rest in the truth tonight, Lord, that the darkness will not win. The light is coming and it will overcome the darkness. Jesus has come on a mission and he did not fail. And he is coming again that we might know and experience that salvation in full. Father, until then, might we rest and receive in your love for us and reflect that to a dying world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.